Chapter fifty three of the Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter fifty three. Beating up for the Navy my other reason for setting down some short account of that evening was to give you a little peace and sense of gratitude to the lord for our many quiet sunsets and the tranquillity of our shores it really seems as if no other land was blessed as ours is with quiet orderly folk inside it and good rulers over it and around it not too much of sun or moon or anything unless it may be now and then a little bit of cloudiness and this love of our country seems ever to be strongest whether at departing for the wars with turbulent nations or upon returning home as soon as we have conquered them but now for a long time i shall have very little peace to dwell upon at narnton court i found no solace for my warmth of feeling polly had been sent out of the way on purpose because i was coming which was a most unhandsome thing on the part of mrs cockhanterbury for the very expectation which had buoyed me up at a flattish period and induced me to do without three quids of cross-cut negrohead was my simple and humble looking forward to my polly i knew that i was a fool of course but still i could not help it and i had got on so well among young women always that i found it very hard to miss the only chance i cared for i feared that my age was beginning to tell for often since i had been ashore my rheumatics had come back again neither was that my only grief and source of trouble at this time but many other matters quite as grave combined against me heaviside was not there to talk and make me hug my singleness nor even jerry toms nor the cook who used to let me teach her it was not that all these had left the place for any mischief in an ancient household such a loss is not allowable all meant to come back again when it suited their opportunities and each perceived that the house was sure to go to the dogs in the absence of themselves and one another heaviside had found nanette in spite of my best prognostics overget her seventh occasion of producing small crappus and his natural disappointment with her led to such words that he shouldered his bundle and made off for spithead in company with jerry who was compelled to forsake his creditors and as for the cook i did hear though unable to believe it that she was in trouble about a young fellow scarcely worthy to turn her jack in other respects i found that nothing of much importance had occurred since i was there in the summer-time sir philip continued to trust in the lord and the squire to watch the sunsets neither had the latter been persuaded to absolve his brother the captain had been at home one or two days inquiring into my discovery of the buried dolls he did not attach so much importance to this matter as his father had done but said that it made a mysterious question even more mysterious and failing as a blunt sailor would to make either head or tail of it and being disgusted with his brother for refusing to see him he vowed to remain in the house no longer but set off for pomeroy castle again where he had formed a close friendship with the eldest son of the owner 
his lady-love the fair isabel was not living there now but might very easily be met with for on coming of age three years ago she had taken possession of her domain carey park a magnificent place adjoining the pomeroy property it was said that the earl had done his best to catch the young heiress for his son and therefore had made a pretext of the old charge against the captain for the purpose of putting a stop to communication with him but his son lord mohun upon finding how the young lady's heart was settled withdrew his suit like a man of honour and all the more promptly perhaps because he had made up his mind to another lady before miss carey came to them it was said that the captain might now have persuaded the beautiful heiress to marry him and finish their long affection if he could have thoroughly made up his mind that honour would bear him out in it for her confidence was so perfect in him that she left it to his own judgment herself perhaps longing to put an end to their wearisome uncertainty sir philip heard of it and came down to implore them thus to settle themselves and captain bampfylde was so hard set by the nature of the case that he might have been enticed away from what his conscience told him this was that the solemn oath which he had taken in the church with isabel beside him to purge himself of all foul charges ere he made another guilty if himself were guilty could not thus be laid aside without a loss of honour sir philip would be the last man in the world to counsel dishonest actions but being an old man and reluctant that his race should all expire he looked upon that sacrament as no more than a piece of sacrilege or a hasty pledge of which the lord would never take advantage nobody knows what might have happened with captain bampfylde so beset and longing to think that he ought to act as everybody told him but he begged for a night to think over it and in the morning he received his appointment to the bellona even sir philip could not deny that the hand and the will of the almighty must herein be recognized and there was a chance of a brush with spain about the nootka sound just then and if anything makes a sailor's fortune it is a fight with these fine old dons a frenchman is sure to be captured but not half so sure as a spaniard and the hidalgos do turn out good gold with good manners behind it many ships have i boarded but with brightest alacrity always a good fat old spaniard therefore the captain brushed away any little weakness and set out for spithead bravely in a bachelor condition and after trying to collect what news there was at narnton and finding that i must not think of meeting my dear polly i quietly drew my travelling money and set forth to join him only every one will reproach me and have right to do so if i fail to tell the latest tidings of that parson chowne people seem to like this man because they never could make him out and nearly all the world is pleased to hear of the rest being vanquished it seems that a wholly new bishop arose by reason of the other dying and this gentleman swore in the bible to have things in order when he heard of chowne and his high defiance of all former bishops he said fie fie this must not be i will very soon put this to rights to follow up this resolution he appointed tiverton and the old church of st peter for chowne to bring his young people up to a noble confirmation also for a visitation of the clergy all around such as they have now and then to stop the spread of king's evil 
his holiness the bishop was surprised to receive this answer my dear lord my meat is at calverley on the day you speak of we always find a fox hard by and if he should make for studley coverts i may come down the bolham road in time to meet your lordship at any rate i shall dine at the angel somewhere between three and five o'clock and hope to find you there and have a pleasant evening with you yours very truly r s chowne p s if you bring your two archdeacons we will have a rubber but i never go beyond guinea points the whole of this was written with cumberland lead on the back of a paper showing how to treat hounds in distemper and the bishop was displeased about it and declined his society especially as he had invitation to the good tidcombe rectory and there he was treated so hospitably by a very handsome family that he put up his glass of a noble wine and saw the sun set through it and vowed that his magna charta or habeas corpus or writ of error i never can remember which but at any rate that his royal orders should fall out of his apron pocket if he failed to execute them in this state of mind he received a letter from parson chowne himself full of respect and most cleverly turned as well as describing the parson's grief at being unable to bring to his holiness any one fit to lay hands upon the standard set before them had been before laying on of hands to say the lord's prayer backwards and there was not one of them up to it this angered the bishop to such a degree that he ordered out his heavy coach with the six long-tailed black horses and the coachman with cocked hat and flowing wig and four great footmen shouldering blunderbusses himself sat inside with his crozier and mitre and lawn sleeves and all the rest of it now this was just the very thing the refractory parson expected therefore he rode round overnight and bade every farmer in the neighbourhood send all his hands with pickaxes and shovels by four o'clock the next morning also he gathered all his own men there as well as the unclad folk who were entirely at his orders then he sent for parson jack as being the strongest man about there and imparted his intention to him and placed him over the workmen early in the afternoon the bishop's state carriage was described moving up the tiverton high-road with a noble and imposing aspect before he arrived at the cross-road leading off to nympton rectory his lordship was surprised to see a great collection of people standing on a hill above the road and all saluting him with the deepest respect not so bad after all he exclaimed brother chowne has brought his men into good order which is the noblest use of the church ah they don't see a bishop every day and they know when a thing is worth looking at for their faces are black with astonishment hallo bob what's that up with the glass your lordship the coachman shouted back or it will be all over with you we are in a damned slough and no mistake and so they were his lordship had no time to slam the windows up before the coach lay wallowing in a bog of nighty blackness in it poured and filled the coach and nearly smothered his lordship who was dragged out at last with the greatest trouble as black as if he were dipped in pitch for the parson had done a most shameful thing and too bad for even him to think of he had taken up his private road and dug out the ground some six feet deep and then by means of carts and harrows transferred to it the contents of a quagmire which lay handy and spread the surface again with road dirt so that it looked as sound as a rock 
having seen with a telescope from his window the grand success of his engineering he sent down a groom in smart livery to present his compliments to the traveller who had happened to lose his way and fall into a moor-hole and was there anything he could do to mitigate that misfortune but the bishop sputtered out through his chattering teeth that he hoped to hear no more of him and that none but a devonshire man was fit to oversee devonshire parsons and this made the fifth bishop conquered by chowne to return to our noble selves that is to say to the better people dealt with in our history at the close of this year seventeen ninety to wit upon christmas day of that excellent year of grace no less than three of us dined together of course with a good many others also in the captain's cabin of the bellona seventy-four gun ship of the british navy carrying also six carronades these three were captain drake bamfylde of course the honourable rodney bluett now our second lieutenant and the master of the ship whose name was something like david llewellyn this latter was now remarkable for the dignity of his appearance and the gravity of his deportment and although he was only ranked after the youngest of the lieutenants and just before chits of reefers called by some people midshipmen and though upon any but festive occasions you might not have spied him at the captain's table you could scarcely have found any officer more satisfied with his position and more capable of maintaining it we were cruising off the south coast of ireland under orders to search all ships that might be likely to carry arms but as a frigate would have done for that service as well as or better than a seventy-four we knew that our true commission was to shake together and fall into discipline and bring other seamen into the same if we could get any to join us having a light wind and plenty of sea-room we resolved to enjoy ourselves that day and a very delightful party it was especially after i was called on to spin a few of the many true yarns which make me such a general favourite after filling our glasses and drinking the health of his majesty and of the navy at large and especially of our captain we began to talk of the state of affairs and the time at which the war might be expected to declare itself that it must come to a great war with france not even a fool could doubt although he might desire to doubt it ever since the destruction of the bastille in july seventeen eighty nine and throughout all the year and a half since that a wild and desperate multitude had done nothing but abolish all the safeguards of their country and every restraint upon the vilest rabble our wisest plan was to begin at once before this cruel monster should learn the use of its fangs and the strength of its spring but as usual great britain was too slow to seize the cudgel which might haply have saved a million lives however we were preparing quietly for the inevitable conflict as even our presence that day in the cabin of the bellona might indicate master we are sadly short of hands said captain bampfylde addressing me i shall have a poor report to make unless we do something do you think that we could get on without you if i sent you on a cruise for a week or so i think you might sir i answered humbly if it does not come on to blow and if you keep well away from land i have trained mr seabright with so much skill that you may always rely upon him except in any difficulty 
nobly i spoke and the captain's reply was not very far behind me if we carried seven hundred and fifty men he exclaimed with generous candour we could not hope to have more than one master david llewellyn so diffident so truthful so entirely free from jealousy gentlemen is it not so all the officers assented with a pleasant smile to me and then to one another so that i hardly knew what to say except that i could not deserve it our tender the sea-lark is to meet us in the cove of cork on new year's day continued captain bampfylde and after shipping all our stores she will be for a fortnight at my disposal now you know as well as i do that our complement for war-time is six hundred and fifty men and boys and that our present strength is more than two hundred short of that war may be declared any day almost and a pretty figure we should cut against a french liner of eighty guns therefore unless the sea-lark should bring us a very large draught which i do not expect my resolve is to man and victual her for a fortnight's cruise under some one who is a good hand at recruiting would you like the berth master llewellyn sir i know not anything which i should like better our captain perceived that the junior lieutenants looked rather glum at being so passed over from master rodney downwards and though he had the perfect right to appoint any officer he pleased he knew the true wisdom of shunning offence by giving some good reason therefore he went on again there is not one of us i dare say who would not enjoy this little change but i think that llewellyn is our man simply for this reason the part to be beaten up first is the welsh coast from st david's head to penarth i have heard of many good seamen there and especially at lonely i think that none of our officers can speak welsh except master david even you bluet though coming from wales are not up to the lingo this settled it in the best-natured manner and all congratulated me and wished me good speed in getting hold of old salts if possible or else fresh young ones not to be too long about it somewhere about epiphany day in the year seventeen ninety one i stretched away for the coast of wales being in command of the sea-lark a rattling cutter of one hundred tons with two six-pound bow-chasers and a score of pickmen under me i have no time now to describe emotions even of the loftiest order such as patriotism modesty generosity self-abasement and many others which i indulged in when i cast anger off forth call and they thought that i meant to bombard them i ordered a boat ashore at once to reassure the natives when i had given a waft of my flag and fired a gun to salute it but being now in such a position and the parish to its utmost corners raving on the subject ashore i durst not trust myself because without rupture of ancient ties and a low impression left behind i could not have got aboard sober again and after that could i knock down any of my crew for being tipsy nevertheless i had bardie and bunny and mother jones with her children and master burke rolls and charles morgan and betsy matthews and moxie thomas all brought in a boat to visit me besides a few others who came without leave they all seemed to be very well and happy and i entertained them beautifully that same afternoon we made a hit enough to encourage anybody we impressed not only my foe the tailor but also hezekiah that is to say it was not quite what might be called impressment because with no war raging yet we could not resort to violence 
but we made them both so entirely drunk that we were compelled for their own sake to weigh anchor while having their bodies on board i had a stern fellow of noble mind to back me up at all hazard and seeing what a sneak hezekiah was he gave him six dozen out of hand with my official sanction the horologist to the royal family took his allotment worse than almost any man i ever saw however for old acquaintance sake i would not have him salted in spite of this the effect was such that it brought him round to the english church and cured him of all french doctrine and as he gradually began to lose fat and to dwell upon gunnery we found his oiliness most useful to prevent corrosion having worked this coast to our utmost power and gathered a good deal of human stuff some useful and some useless pretty near threescore in all and put upon short rations we thought that we might as well finish our job by slanting across to devonshire because for the most part you there may find more body but less mind than ours which is the proper state of things for the substance of our navy therefore we drafted off to cork all our noble welshmen and made sail for devonshire now before telling what we did i really must guard against any nasty misconstruction whatever had been done to me on the part of parson chowne was by this time so wholly gone out of my heart and mind and everything any man can feel with that nothing was further from my intention than to stir it all in that matter again i knew that in spite of all the deference paid me now on every side and too much for my comfort chowne would turn me inside out ten thousand times worse than stew could this i like to see done when anything wrong can be found inside a man but a thoroughly honest fellow should stick on his honesty and refuse it so when providence in a dream lay before me the great mercy and i might say miracle of impressing the naked people and bringing them under our good chaplain to be trained from the error of their ways and live i felt a sort of delicacy as to trespassing thus upon parson chowne's old freehold these naked folk belonged to him and though he did not cultivate them as another man might have done it was not difficult to believe that he found fine qualities in them and to take them from under his very nose might seem like a narrow vexation however at times there are when duty overrides all delicacy the bologna was still short of her number by a hundred hands or more and with this reflection i cast away all further hesitation we left the sea-lark off heaven's mouth a wild and desolate part of the coast for my object was to pounce unawares on the parson's savage colony for what we were going to do was not altogether lawful just at present although it very soon would be my force consisted of no less than fifteen jolly well-seasoned tars all thoroughly armed all up for a spree and ready to do any mortal thing at a word or a signal from me if we could only surprise the wild men i had no fear as to our retreat because the feeling of the country would be strongly in our favour as the abaters of a nuisance long pronounced unbearable for five or it may have been six leagues we marched across the moors as straight as possible by compass except when a quagmire or a ridge of rugged stone prevented us we forded several beautiful streams of the brightest crystal water so full of trout that i longed to have a turn at my old calling and we came in view of nympton steeple just as the sun was setting 
i remembered the lie of the land quite well ever since that night when the fire happened so i halted my men in a little wood and left them to eat their suppers while i slung my spy-glass and proceeded to reconnoitre the enemy lying flat upon the crest of a hammocky ridge of moorland i brought my glass to bear through the heather first upon the great parson's house which stood on a hill to the left of me and then on the barber's settlement the rectory looked as snug and quiet as the house of the very best man could be with a deal more of comfort than most of these contrived to gather around them the dens of the tribe that objected to raiment were quite out of sight from his windows nor were they allowed to present themselves to mrs chowne unless she had done anything to vex him shaping my glass upon these wretches i saw that they were in high festival of course i could not tell the reason but it turned out afterwards that the parson's hounds were off their feed through a sudden attack of distemper and therefore a cartload of carrion had been taken down to the settlement it was lucky that i knew it not for i doubt whether we should have dared to invade their burrows at such a period however i thought that nothing could be more suitable for our enterprise of course they would all overgorge themselves and then their habit of drinking water which alone would establish their barbarism was sure to throw them into deep untroubled sleep till sunrise as soon as one could strike a line from the pointers to the pole star which is a crooked one by the by and as soon as it was dark enough for a man to count the pleiads i called my men with a long low whistle and advanced in double file the savages lay as deeply sleeping as if their consciences were perfect whereas they could have had none at all we entered their principal cuddy or shanty or shealing or wigwam or what you will for it was none of these exactly but a mixture of them all and to our surprise not one awoke or was civilized enough to snore higgledy-piggledy they lay in troughs scooped out of the side of the hill or made by themselves of clay and straw called cob i believe in devonshire with some rotten thatch above them and the sides of their den made of brushwood some of the elders had sheepskins over them but the greater part trusted to one another for warmth and to their hairiness all this we saw by a blue light which i ordered to be kindled for at first it was as dark as pitch and a stranger or a sadder sight has rarely been seen in england poor creatures they were all so cowed by the brilliant light and the armed men standing in their filthy hovel that they offered no resistance but stared at us in a piteous manner as if we were come to kill them escape was impossible save for the children and most of them thought as we found out afterwards that chowne was tired of them and had ordered their destruction choose all the males from ten years to thirty i shouted to my men who were almost as scared as the savages don't touch the females or i'll cut you down set another blue light burning we don't want any cripples not to be too long with it i only found three men worth impressing the others were so badly built or even actually deformed and of appearance so repulsive that we could not bear to think of turning them into messmates now for the boys i cried we want boys even more than men almost but i found that all the children save one had slipped through the sailors legs adroitly while we were dealing with the men we could not have caught them in the dark and more than this the best sized of them had popped like snakes into burrow holes or like a fox into his earth 
but the one who stood his ground and faced us was a noble-looking boy in spite of dirt and nakedness with long thick tangles of golden hair and a forehead like a man's almost he looked up at me in a bold steady manner wholly unlike their savage stare and it struck me that here was the little fellow whom i had saved eight or nine years ago from the horse of parson jack but though he appeared to be twelve years old i could not make out what he said except yes yes and me come with oo such was his state of education i hoisted him on a strong man's back for the long march had made me feel my years and perceiving no call to molest the residue or injure their home such as it was we simply handcuffed the three best fellows and borrowed three pig-whips of their own made right down ingeniously so as to drive them to hedden's mouth we durst not halt for a rest until there were three leagues between us and nympton moor then hurrying on at the break of day we found the sea-lark at anchor and she sent us a boat at our signal scarcely were we on board of the boat and pushing off with our capture when the clash of a horse's hoofs upon rock rang through the murmuring of the waves we turned and gazed with one accord for the boat lay broadside on to shore through the kicking of the naked men when they felt salt water under them and our quitting good stroke to attend to them at furious speed a horseman dashed out of the craggy glen and leaped the pool where the brook is barred up and vanishes down the shingle and shelves of rack he drove his horse into the sea until there was no firmness under him he almost laid hold of our boat not quite for i struck with an oar at the horse and scared him shouting to all of my crew to pull finding himself just a little too late chowne gave a turn to his horse's head and the lather and foam of the spirited animal made a white curdle in the calm blue sea the horse sprang gladly up the shingle crest for the shore is very steep there and he shook himself and scattered brine and there were three other horses behind him on one of these sat parson jack and two huntsmen on the other twain and the faces of these were as red as fire with hurry and indignation only chowne's wicked face was white and settled with calm fury and his style of address to us just as if we were nothing but dogs of his kennel ho you scoundrels he shouted out hold oars and let me parley you at this i made a signal to my crew to slack from rowing and i stood up in the boat and said what can we do for your reverence nothing for me rogues but much for yourselves i will give you five pounds for that child in the stern i want him for knife-cleaning would your worship think fifty too much for him we put him at fifty your worship fifty you robbers well then fifty ten times his value to any one but i have a fancy for him would your worship mind saying five hundred down look at his hair he is worth it for we had washed him in the brook and his hair in drying was full of gold who are you he shouted controlling himself as his habit was when outbreak became useless for the dignity of my demeanour and the nobility of my uniform also the snowiness of my hair combined to defeat the unerring quickness of his rapid and yet cold eyes and so i replied with an elegant bow your reverence it so happens that my name is old davy llewellyn End of chapter fifty three